general nerdery. So this book uses as shorthand for zombies, Zack, a lot in it. <laughs> and after a while of like, gotta kill all the Zacks, Zacks are our enemy, Zacks are just evil. And I'm like, I'm starting to take this a little personally. What? <laughs> Mark Hamill does not like me, apparently, and I'm not okay with that sentence. There's also some really awkward parts about your moans just being heard for miles. Look, man, Max Brooks has opinions about me, apparently, and, uh, oh, I'm not going to finish that. Anyways, welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. We're your journals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And, uh, we're here to talk about World War Z today. Yeah, Zed War One. Zed War One. But before that... Kind of specifically the audiobook, but whatever. Yeah, before that, what have we been ingesting? What have I been ingesting? Um, to no one's surprise after last week, mostly Hades. Yeah. Like, as soon as we stopped recording last time, you were like, look, 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 look at this. Fucking sit down and watch. Look at this. Look at this. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I see. But also, I guess... Ooh, actually, I guess quite a bit alongside that. Um, I've watched all of the Miracle Workers there currently is. I haven't seen any of season three. We have episodes of this coming up on the podcast. I don't remember if it's next time or the time after, but soon. Yeah. Um, unrelated to that at all, my girlfriend wanted to watch it. So I was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. And we, we bombed through two seasons in a day. And then got uh, as caught up as the current season is uh, just a couple days ago. Without diving into that, because, again, we're going to do episodes. I enjoyed it. Good. Yeah. It's the, fucking the, great. The, the short versions is, is enjoyed. <laughs> it. Um, the slightly longer but still short version is I don't need him to be it right away, but I need Daniel Radcliffe as the doctor in my lifetime. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I don't need it right away. But, you know, and he's not one of those actors that's decided like, oh, I must always go for the big dollar things now. He's like, I made all the fucking money I could ever need by the time I was about 15. So I'm just going to do whatever looks interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And one, that's my favorite kind of actor. And two, you're much more likely to become the doctor. I actually like that way better than I hear like Tom Hiddleston a lot. And like. I really like Tom Hiddleston, but I don't. I think he'd be Hiddleston would be an interesting doctor because I think he would very effortlessly be kind of what Capaldi was, where he was kind of a mix of sort of the older doctor mm -hmm. style with a little bit of the newer friendlier as well. The problem is I would see Tom Hiddleston before I saw the doctor. And I, I feel agree. like Daniel Radcliffe could own the position better. Mm hmm. Um, oh man, that made me think, uh, apparently Whoopi Goldberg is like my one big regret in life is I can't play the doctor in Doctor Who. Oh. I'm like, I'm usually against Americans, but I would give that a shot. That'd be pretty great. <laughs> um, I guess they're only like, they're only like three episodes in anyway, but I did spend the other night getting caught up on Lower Decks. Nice. That's have one you... of mine. Um, I haven't watched the third one, but I've watched the first two. Okay, so I, that's what I wanted to bring up was, of course, the Cerritos has the first Tamarian member of Starfleet. Oh, no, that's in episode two. So, yeah, that yeah, definitely. Yeah. I 
I didn't think he was going to stay, but it sure looks like he's a returning character. I hope that they continue to use him. Because I've watched episode three. He doesn't pop back up there, but... Well, it's like Strax didn't appear every right. episode from first season. Okay, so real quick, if you're not <laughs> us, the Tama- even I'm surprised you know Tamarian other than that episode. Um, Only because Shaka when the walls fell. <laughs> Tamarians come from the... Possibly the most critically beloved episode of Star Trek ever made called Darmok, where Captain Picard gets sent down to a planet and is like stuck with this alien captain. And you find out the other captain only speaks in metaphor, like their species communicates 100 percent in metaphor. It is one of the most interesting, like social sci-fi high concept episode Star Trek has ever fucking done. Picard or Patrick Stewart kills it in that episode. And I can't think of the actor who plays the other captain. Mm, Yeah. But holy shit, that guy drives home with like impossible odds. The B story is garbage, but it's fine. Whatever. And no one has been brave enough to touch the Tamarians since that episode in like 1993. And this was wonderful. Oh, so good. So funny. It's so, you get all the classic, like, somebody, you know, somebody who's learned, yes, you know, ESL, English as a second language, or whatever it is in Star Trek. What's mm-hmm. English in Star Trek? Still English, I think. Everyone's got the uh, the universal translator, so oh, it's yeah. less, there's not like, Arubesh, like Star Wars has. Or, yeah, that's right. Um, but, like, you have all the weird little hang-ups, like, ah... Uh, I forgot this word, and he's really trying to learn hard, but then instead of just, like, a word, he's like, how you say... Picard and so-and-so at Tanaga? Yeah. <laughs> I think he says Federation Basics, so that uh, might Yeah, be that. that's right. But to really drive home this episode, Russell T. Davies, the guy that relaunched Doctor Who, described this as, like, the most brilliant concept for a TV episode he ever saw or read about, but he refuses to watch the episode because he's like so scared of what if this is not as good as like my brain has mm. decided it should be. And I'm like, watch the episode, you coward. <laughs> but <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Sorry. My so that was, nerd there. no, that was, uh, I think that was the only other big thing. Like it's been, yeah, mostly Hades, still a little bit of Valhalla. And then those shows mostly, uh, I can't wait. Episode three is a lot of fun. You're going to have a lot of fun with it. The B plot is essentially it's okay to like Voyager. I fucking oh yeah, because it's Tom Paris is in this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> I like Voyager, and uh, you know what? I like Tom Paris, and that's a somewhat brave choice to say sometimes in uh, Trek fandom. Oh god, let's see. Um, Ted Lasso and Lower Decks have been the two big ones mm-hmm. for us. Uh, CC and I have started finally watching the watch. The, How the is it? I still haven't started we have it myself. We've only seen the first episode, so we should say. I still want to do an episode for this show. Because we've talked about the because watch we've so talked, much. Yes. Uh, they start with in a somewhat shoddy trouser leg of time or something like that. Like, basically, here's a little pocket dimension. I have to treat it as a, like, 100% different pocket dimension from Terry's books. If they had changed the name of every character, I would have been like, this is clearly inspired by the watch, but I really like where it's going. And now I'm like, I have to shut off almost everything I love about 
The Watch, but I think there's a decent fantasy show here. Okay. Like, and some of it really lands. The guy who plays Vimes, what's Richard Dormer, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's great, and he could have... It's a, a much more over-the-top drunk Vimes than even he was in Guards Guards, but, like, that dude can play Vimes like nobody's business. But Cheery is not remotely the same character. Okay. And I really like the new Cheery. She's fucking great. But I don't... But you miss old Cheery as well? New Cheery is a, from what we can tell, trans woman who has to chase off ghosts that want them to rejoin her their punk band. It's great. I actually really enjoy her, like, in all of her stuff. But little Cheery, classic Cheery, is a dwarf woman who, like, changes dwarf society by admitting she's a woman and is fucking terrified of everything, but is kind of the perfect person to change society as a result of that. Because she's mm-hmm. like, I just really love Cheery. I've, I've done this speech before. So, yeah. I'm like, I, I think I like this. But it's going to take me a little bit to, like, let go of what my brain wants it to be. It's like Max Brooks letting go of the fact that that movie was also called World War Z. It's like Constantine the <laughs> comic versus Constantine the movie. There's yeah, I mean it's a great movie if I shut off the fact that it's supposed to be Constantine. There's a and that is the like most consistent review I've ever heard of that movie. There's a lot of good stuff to say for it, but it's, it ain't fucking Constantine. It's all honestly it's a pretty good way to streamline that storyline too, but having Carrot be kind of like broody instead of Ooh, is he broody? He was a cop before he came to the watch and he's not sure like how to deal with how crime works here as opposed to the like endless wealth of like positivity, like the Ted Lasso nature that is Carrot. Oh my God. If they just did Ted Lasso, (laughs) but as Carrot in the watch. (laughs) I don't know why, but I have had this like little like two page comic I want to make in my mind mixing like. Xenophon or like the Greek, you know, Greeks versus Persians mm-hmm. with Ted Lasso. <laughs> I don't know why, but it makes me fucking crack up every time I think about it when I'm like really bored at work. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. And then my other big one is with the news that James Tinian, the, what is that, the fourth? Yeah. yeah. I'm just going with James yep. Tinian, uh, is leaving Batman, and I've been kind of considering reading his run already. I decided to start to dive into that a little bit because now I know it's not going to be like a hundred issues and I'm much more likely to like read through all of it. But I started with Joker War, which was their like big crossover that kind of it wasn't where he started his run, but it's where he kind of like took control of his run. Okay, like I've cleaned up some plot points from the last stuff. Let's do this. And I kind of broke a few rules that I didn't realize I actively had when buying comics anymore. Because it is a book with Joker in the name, and I basically just don't read Joker stories anymore. Mm-hmm. It is the mainline Batman book, which I also, we've talked about my love of like B-list and C-list stories. Mm-hmm. And it was a crossover event comic, and I never fucking buy crossover event comics. So how was it breaking all those rules? Pretty good. <laughs> It suffered from all of the weaknesses of, like, a line-wide event crossover. Just all the Batman books. But, like, I got to see Nightwing stop being weird memory-erased Rick Grayson 
tough guy wannabe Nightwing and get Dick fucking Grayson back. Um, the artist, I think, I think Jorge Jimenez, I will correct myself if I have that wrong next week, doing some of the best work of his career. Uh, the, he is now officially at the point that when I see he's making a book, I'm going to check it out, which before I was like, oh yeah, he's great. Mm -hmm. Tinian already wrote one of my favorite recent Batman runs. I see a whole lot of potential here. The story itself is fine. The Joker's escalated and there's a clown-based riot going across Gotham City. I have read that a million times. <laughs> I've also played Arkham City, so like, right. I'm fucking there already. I've done that. But it was very good. Like, it was a well done. If you are a big Batman fan, I highly recommend it. If you don't really like Batman or like are tired of somewhat over-the-top Joker antics, mm -hmm. don't really check this one out. I think punchline is super boring. She was the, she's a recent character created to be like the Joker's next girlfriend. Okay. But she goes in with a lot more agency and kind of like awareness. So a little less of the Stockholm syndrome that Harley went through. Right. Cause they kind of missed having the Joker having a like female hunch person is what yeah. I'm guessing. She's fine, but she's Harley Quinn's right there. And is super interesting. Like, yeah. The most interesting part of Punchline in that was when Harley Quinn beat her up. Sorry, Punchline. Nothing against you. There's a bunch of interesting looking new characters that he's been bringing in, but Punchline is eh. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Um, should we get to the news? I suppose we should. Uh, let's start with, this is kind of outside our news category, but or not our usual like four, uh, but we have a couple of obituaries of big name people who... Died. Yeah, this past week. Let's you, just get the sad out of the way first. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and hit yours first, because it's the one that's least connected to this, but and it's also, also most connected because <laughs> it's about things we like. And uh, Charlie Watts, the drummer of the Rolling Stones, has died, uh, which is... I mean, it's the Rolling fucking Stones. They're one of yeah. the biggest bands in history. Like them or hate them, they are one of the most influential bands ever. I mean, fucking Ted Lasso episode... Four or five. 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 The main run through was the song Rainbow by the Rolling Stones. Like it, it is happening today. They're on tour again. Mm -hmm. Or they're about to go on tour right now. Fuck, I've seen them live. They're <laughs> they're amazing. And the Rolling Stones were my favorite band growing up, and Charlie Watts was my favorite member of the Stones. Because while Mick Jagger is out there Mick Jaggering it up, Charlie Watts is wearing like a polo shirt and just kind of hanging out calmly in the back. And he looks like he's <laughs> going to go buy groceries on the way home. Like, and I just loved that. <laughs> We're the greatest band in the world. And he's like, yeah, that's great, guys. Uh, there's possibly my all-time favorite rock star story is Keith Richards and Mick Jagger are out partying and are just absolutely shit-faced. Mm-hmm. And they get back to the hotel and Jagger is just drunk as a skunk, calls up Charlie Watson. He's like, where's my fucking drummer? Why isn't my fucking drummer partying with me? And as Keith Richards describes this, Charlie Watts got up, put on a full suit because that's what he would do. He'd wear a suit. He had uh, Richards could smell the cologne. He obviously had like shaved and everything, brushed his hair, came nice, came down to the uh, hotel room they were partying in, punched Mick Jagger so hard that he almost fell out the window into the pool, said, never call me your fucking drummer, and went back upstairs and went to bed. 
I had heard that before. I was wondering what story you're going to tell. That's amazing. This is who I idolized to be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other one from just yesterday was uh, Ed Asner, who is gigantic and Mm -hmm. ties into my childhood because I always think of him first and foremost from the Mary Tyler Moore show Mm because I grew up watching old TV. Now, if you didn't grow up watching old school sitcoms, you're much less likely to know Ed Asner, but I almost guarantee you've heard his goddamn voice if you've watched a cartoon in the last 30 years. So I, I pulled a lot, some, a couple of the more comic book specific mm-hmm. ones just because of what we normally talk about here. Uh, Young Justice's Kent Nelson. I didn't know that one. That's awesome. Uh, Uncle Ben on Spectacular Spider-Man. I've never seen that Spider-Man, but I've heard great things about it. J. Jonah Jameson, the amazing Spider-Man. Like like oh. the 90s. Oh, so the animated series one. Yeah. Wow, good for him. Granny Goodness, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And Superman. Yeah, and Super, uh, yeah, what was it, Adventures of uh, Superman? Superman the Animated Series. That's what it was, yeah, yeah. This is where I know him best. And I was reading a Female Furies book, so a book that used grannies last week. And I heard it in his fucking voice. That's amazing. Um, and then off comic books, but I used to watch the first two seasons of the show so fucking often because I had them on DVD. Uh, Ed Wensler Sr. in the Boondocks. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now that you're saying that, I hear it. Uh, uh, and of course, he was, um, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Carl from Up. Jesus Christ. That's what we probably should have opened with. But, I mean, uh, I'll close with that because. Oh, well, I'm going to ruin that because he was also in Freakazoid, which is oh. one of like the most respected mm-hmm. cartoons of the 90s. Giant Ch- ripoff of Madman. But. And like that was just like super cherry picking. He's one of those assholes that his filmography has its own Wikipedia page. Yeah. They, uh, I was watching you scroll through it. I'm like, God, he was he worked every Constantly. day of his life. Constantly. Um, man, that's a bummer. Yeah. He was old, though. Yeah, he was old. And, like, he was and that doesn't and make was... it not sad, but I feel way better when a 90-year-old dies than when I'm like, they were 33. Well, and he was one of those guys, like, he's looked old since he was young, <laughs> but he started to look real old. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was like 90. Yeah. Anyway, off of that, let's go to the fun, some of the fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, let's do some science. Science. Science rules. Bill. Bill, Bill, sorry. So, Egypt names 43 million-year-old walking whale after the god of death. Yeah. They have announced that in Egypt, uh, they discovered an aquatic, uh, semi-aquatic whale with legs that lived roughly 43 million years ago. This is where whales are super cool because mammals left, uh, left the water, grew up on land. Some of them formed into a kind of deer Mm-hmm. I heard deer, I've heard horse. I'm not sure what the current one. I think deer is the current one to a pretty deer-like creature. And then that creature slowly moved into back into the water and became semi-aquatic and they became fucking legged murder whales. And we're not talking like humpback, we're talking like closer to like orcas or dolphins, so they were right. fucking terrifying. And they were like, "Wow, this water place kicks ass." And just slowly moved back in. But this one specifically is named in Latin, so I'm going to be bad at this, but we'll try. Uh, Fumicetus Anubis, 
And the reason they named it the God of Death, beyond the fact that it just sort of looks... There's a kind of, like, jackal-like look to it. Okay. Of the What did you say that first out. part was? Theomacetus? So, what would that be, like, God Whale? Anyway. God Whale Anubis is fucking sick. So, yes, we're just going to go with that. <laughs> uh, but it was described as this would have been a god of death to all the creatures around it. Because it was just so, like wonderfully developed to fucking murder anything around it that they found from that era. Uh, what is also fun about this is this is, I think, the first major paleontological discovery made in Egypt by a purely Arab team. Hmm. Which we've never talked about on this show, but if you ever read about archaeology or paleontology or most sciences, if we're being honest white dudes moving into Middle Eastern territory and calling the shots has been an ongoing problem. Yeah. Uh, we actually talked about that recently a little bit on Fried Squirms when we were talking about the Mummy movies. Oh, yep. Yeah. Which you, is actually called out even in the old Mummy movies. <laughs> you know, and there is something, like, I'm not saying British people can't go to the Gobi and discover stuff. But like when you control every archeological dig, when you were taking all of the stuff out of the countries and keeping it when they're like, no, that's, that's ours. That's mm -hmm. a major part of our like history and culture. And you're like, yeah, I'm looking after it for you. That's bad. Yeah. So this is really watching places like Egypt and Nigeria and there was another one I read about recently that are starting to do um, much more of their own archaeological or paleontological paleontological. Yeah, I think that works. Uh, societies and cultures and museums growing in their own countries has been really cool to see. Awesome. We watched a couple trailers. We did watch a couple trailers. So I'm going to say that the might have fallen under your radar is probably the Midnight Suns. Oh, see, I thought that was going to be my next report, but uh, yeah, let's go with that. Um, that's Midnight Suns the Game, S-U-N-S, based off of Midnight Suns the Comic, S-O-N-S. And both of them are edgelord as shit, and I'm here for it. Dude, okay, so yeah, it's 2K Fraxis, um, probably best known for doing the XCOM games. Which I've never played, but I'm here good things. So my gaming time recently has been split 85% Hades, 10% Valhalla, the other 5% XCOM 2, because once you pick up an XCOM game, you, you never just, put down a fucking XCOM stop. game. Okay. They are so fucking fun. I recently got two. I used to play a lot of one. Tactical RPGs, so they're turn-based moving people around. Apparently that's what this is going to be, is a tactical RPG. Oh, cool. I thought this was going to be a lot more, like, in control than it than no. that. From what I understand is Marvel approached 2K because whoever is high up in the Marvel gaming division loves XCOM. Great. <laughs> uh, I do like that they specifically mm. chose to name it Suns, S-U-N-S, because we want to, like, reference this classic 90s stuff that we were mm -hmm. all about. And Marvel's and it's going, still a version of it. But we wanted to do our own thing because 
Okay, here's the basic team of the original Midnight Suns. And they weren't really a formal team, but they were kind of a, let's take all our weird horror properties and put them in their own little line. It's like the supernatural crossover event. Yes. Morbius the Living Vampire. The Danny Ketch Ghost Rider. With his older brother, John Blaze, but not in Ghost Rider form, traveling with him with his Hellfire shotgun. Yes. Oh, I love it so much. Uh, uh, Blade. Yep. Before the Blade movie came out, even, I think. Right, so it's still... He's not quite the same Blade that you think about. No, but he's much closer. This is where he starts wearing, like, the leather jacket Mm -hmm. and stuff. So maybe right when the... uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. The the Blade character change is hard to keep track of. And we haven't gotten to the Blade episode in Word Balloons yet. Right. Um, Or New Byland. With Blade... Frank Drake and Hannibal King from the other Tomb of Dracula series as a group called the Night Stalkers. Uh, if, yeah, if Hannibal King sounds familiar, that's uh, technically who Ryan Reynolds was in Blade Trinity, even though the character... He just played he, Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. No, he all it was was an audition for Deadpool. Yeah. So we were just talking about how the watch I had to shut off everything I know but the name... This version is even fucking worse. Mm. It is just not remotely the same character. No. Which is fine. I enjoyed it. Ryan Reynolds was only thing, one of the only things I liked about Blade Trinity, but like he's... Not Hannibal King. Doctor Strange was involved, but that was right before the Strange series like exploded in its most wild choices it's ever made. <laughs> Listen to our new Byland episode on Doctor Strange. When we get to the point where he becomes two different beings, that's what I'm talking about. Ah. And I feel like I'm missing someone, but that's about it. And they fight Lilith, daughter of Dracula. Who does seem to be the villain in this one? Yeah, no, it it it's Lilith. Well, because the hunter is supposed to be the child of Lilith. Oh, so she's the da- granddaughter of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Does that make Vampire Hunter D her uncle? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> In an interdimensional sort of way. So it's a tactical RPG from the makers of one of the best tactical RPGs on the fucking market involving a bunch of supernatural fucking Marvel characters. Like, I'm there yesterday. Mm-hmm. I need this game in my life right now. Well, and the cast list is fucking wild. Like, there's one's that we are not surprised at all are in here. Right. You Well, you have to have, even though this is like a supernatural slash magical mm-hmm. event thing, you have to have like audience familiar characters. <laughs> <laughs> Which is part of where the original Midnight Suns went wrong. So like Wolvie is definitely in it. Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. We saw Captain America, uh-huh. right? In and the Iron lineup Man. and Iron Man. The, the ones that had multi-million dollar movies in the last 10 years. We're going to see them. But also... We got Blade. That's not a surprise. Nope. Because he's had a giant movie, and he has another big one coming up with Mahershala Ali. And they, uh, if you're going to name your game Midnight Suns, you're you, going to put fucking Blade you're in You're going to put Blade like, in. The Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider. I'm down with it. Honestly, like, I love Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider. You know I love Robbie mm-hmm. Ray's Ghost Rider. Being Midnight Suns, I hope Johnny I shows Johnny up. or Danny. Johnny or Danny. I want one it of them to Danny. show up. It'll be Johnny. 
I want at least one of them to show up. Even if it takes a DLC later on down the road. Like, I want at least one of them to show up. Well, and Robbie, I mean, he appeared in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's a member of the main Avengers team. He has had a lot of push to really keep him in the public consciousness and characterize that I never thought we were going to see with the car Ghost Rider. Yeah. Unfortunately, he does somewhat suffer being the car Ghost Rider because there's a lot of places where you could even just ignore reality enough to put a motorcycle in there and get away with it that you just can't do with the fucking car. Right. So we have to see Ghost Rider. So he's also the action walk around a lot Ghost Rider. Yeah. Yeah, He's also (laughs) the only Ghost Rider we ever have to see just like legging it down an alley. Like Mm -hmm. that's not really a thing that normal Ghost Rider does. We saw magic, or well, actually, before we get to magic, because magic kind of makes sense. We saw Nico, Nico, Nico Minoru, who was on a, on the TV show Runaways for like three seasons, but that is still still feels like a pull. That's a big choice. I would have expected Scarlet Witch as your like witch mm-hmm. character before, but I guess they wanted to go the gothy route. If you're a fan of Midnight Suns and have continued to read comics, I'm not surprised at all that you're like, can we use Nico? But like, I never would have guessed it to happen. She's the part that worries me the most because I don't know how you incorporate the staff of the one into tactical RPG uh, turn-based combat. Yeah, they will not do her power set properly, but in their defense, I don't know how. And even the comics have constantly struggled. Uh, For reference, her main weapon is the staff of one, and it is a very literal thing. You can cast any spell you want, once. And if you do try to cast the spell a second time, stuff happens. One time, a bunch of birds exploded out of the uh, staff instead. Like, and I kind of got, I, I got a sense that the most recent Runaway series tried to find some workarounds on that, admitting mm. that after 20 years, it's getting really hard to use the fucking staff of one. Right. But it's also tough because that was such a cool thing. Yeah, that's such a cool idea. You got to play with that idea in some way. I just don't know how they're going to do it to make the character reliable in, mm-hmm. in any sense when taking them on a mission. Yeah, magic's going to be super fucking cool. Magic is, like, always going to be on my team, I think. Magic being the little sister of Colossus, who has the mag- or the mutant power to teleport through hell dimensions mm-hmm. and made a fucking sword out of her soul because she got kidnapped by a demon. Magic is pretty choice who am i missing we're pretty sure we saw we saw someone who we couldn't fully identify but we think is either uh jane valkyrie or lady sif yes and i'm leaning towards the jane valkyrie because the costume looks a little closer to the traditional valkyrie all of these guys have like black and yellow magical versions of their costumes wolverine just looks like wolverine but i mean you saw the the engraving got a bunch of fucking runes and stuff but he's still like from so for, I did watch a little interview with one of the the developers. Mm-hmm. I guess part of the storyline is this is kind of their own little like multiverse that this is happening they in. Just get a, yeah, they they get to happen in their own little it's a universe. Very good call and Lilith coming back because of your character because you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a player character who you get to make your own hero, the hunter, customize how you want to play them, whatever. And they're the ones making, you know, bringing all the other characters together because most of them don't like playing with others. Yeah, that was the other thing about the Midnight Suns. 
But part of it is that Doctor Strange and Tony Stark are having to work together to meld technology and magic to fight what they're going up against. So that's why everybody's in like the tricked out magic armors. And that's why it looks like there's an arc reactor in all of them too. Yes. Okay. And I think changing up the armors is actually going to change up their abilities for when you're in combat. Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, there's also Captain Marvel in there. We mentioned that. that oh, yeah. We didn't really see anything with her, though, in this trailer. Uh, I, For some reason, I think Black Widow's in it, but I don't know if she's actually in it or if I just assume she's going to be because she's become the other Lady Avenger. Yeah. She's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but, like... Well, they've, they've said that other than... Uh, at release, other than the Hunter, there's going to be 12 other heroes you can have on your team. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be other heroes that show up in the game in some way, but only 12 others that you can actually play as. So we've seen 11 of them between that picture and the gameplay. So there's just one there's that we don't know There's one that yet. we don't know for sure who's probably Loki based off of the Hellhound, as you pointed out. Yeah, we saw the Hellhound, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming Loki's going to show up, but that they could easily give that to Magic or Valkyrie or someone instead. Um, Loki would be my guess, especially because, I mean, fucking Loki at this point. The fact that the guy also very quickly like specified, though, that like at drop means we're probably getting more mm-hmm. in DLCs. There's one that I expect we'll get, whether that's a good thing or not, is up in the air, and that's Morbius the Living Vampire. Mm. And the reason I say that, because that's kind of a one, uh, wild one to be like, I think we'll get it. He'll but, probably be PlayStation exclusive. Oh, yeah, so maybe not. But I was going to say, because someday that fucking movie is coming out. Yes. And two, Morbius was actually a member of the original Midnight Sun. So they can probably be like, hey, come on, we can justify this like weird choice. I would love to see someone like the Wasp, though. Okay. Someone who I think is really undercredited as a hero. I mean, to the point that they don't even let the uh, the original Wasp be the Wasp in the MCU. Right. Because it's, it's not Janet. No. And Hope is fine. I, I enjoy her, but, like, I actually really like Janet Van Dyne. That'd be cool. Um, Either as a completely separate character or just as a skin. Like, honestly, if they just give it to me as a skin, I'd be fine with it. I think it'd be kind of cool, like, if you're going to do all this weird supernatural slash magic stuff anyway, if, like, Old Man Phoenix showed up as a skin for Wolvie. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to see that as a skin, but it would be really weird to drop that out of, like, just a different Wolvie 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah. Um, Luke Cage would be really cool, and this one will never happen, but Darkhawk would just make my 90s love and heart sing. I mean, honestly, I feel like Darkhawk might be a higher chance than a couple of the others you've named off, just considering who they've already thrown in this. What, then Morbius? Or more like, oh, no, I don't know. Either way. Uh, I mean, I think Darkhawk's a bigger chance than the Wasp. Only reason, well, probably. Because it's Midnight Suns. Yeah, but on the other hand, Wasp was in a TV show, or a movie. Kind of. Kind of. We're not getting either of them. (laughs) <laughs> Let's just be really honest here. The If I could make the ultimate Marvel video game, it would not do very well because I would pick all of the worst possible choices. It'd be like Darkhawk and Strong Guy and Slapstick on a buddy adventure. 
I don't know. That was actually, I didn't mean to spend that long on Midnight Suns, but oh, it's, dude, like, you, you're going to buy this game. I'm, yeah, I never buy games when they come out, and I'll probably buy this game pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm going to get it at launch. It's just already settled. Yeah, fair enough. Um, our next trailer. Yeah, No Way Home. Uh-huh. Uh, Spider-Man, No Way Home. Okay, so here's the thing. I like everything they're showing me in the trailer. The trailer doesn't blow me away. Yeah, most of this we already knew. It sounds like it's been finally basically confirmed. Like, people got shots of them on set of Tobey Maguire and um, Andrew Garfield being in this movie. I still have no interest in that whatsoever, but okay, it makes sense with what they're doing here. Mm -hmm. I have no desire to see that Green Goblin armor from the 2000 movie. And we saw the pumpkin bomb from that era, so we might... And I'd be cool with having Willem Dafoe back. At 100%, because Willem Dafoe is I just always a win. really hate the goblin power armor from the era of we can't let comic book movies be kooky. Right. I'm surprised they showed us Doc Ock already. Well, they were pretty open with the fact that Molina was coming back. I was expecting to see Electro instead, but... And that was the one thing I'm like, maybe it's just because everyone kind of knows a lot of the people that are already showing up. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of speculation that a lot of those, like, a lot of the interspersed action between the fucking, the talkie sequences in that trailer, there's a lot of, like, dirt and lightning explosions. So there's a lot of speculation that it's Sandman and Electro. Well, we know Jamie Foxx. We know Jamie Foxx is coming back. You know, the guy who played the Sandman looked like the Sandman. Thomas Hayden Church? I'm not going I'm down to... with Thomas Hayden Church. Part of me was like, the fucking no, we don't need that. But like, if I'm trying not to hold the script that he was working with against him, he looked good as the Sandman, and they let him have the striped shirt, which I never thought they were going to allow. <laughs> Ooh, Molina looks so good. Molina. Oc, uh, Molina's why Doc Ock is basically my favorite Spider-Man villain. It's Alfred Molina. there's one other thing I guess that's kind of bugging me about the trailer I don't feel like movie Doctor Strange as we've seen him portrayed so far would do this I feel like comic Doctor Strange would do this well comic Doctor Strange did Did do do this this, which we'll talk about in a second Um, you know I don't know but I am much more open to seeing Strange like make mistakes because he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm really looking forward to strange and Peter being friends because I've always really liked the Dr. Strange Spider-Man friendship because it's so out there like of choices, but they work really well together. I don't want strange to be his next father figure. I just want them to, like, deal with each other on their own terms, which is really, like, confusing for them both, but they do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what blows me away is that this is based off of Omit, One Moment in Time, which is not a well-known story in the first place, and it's not a great received story either. Uh, in Spider-Man One More Day, Spider-Man infamously sells his marriage to the devil to make everyone forget who he is and to save his dying octogenarian aunt. Mm-hmm. It is one of the, it is possibly the most hated Spider-Man storyline of all time. 100%. I know I hate it more than all other ones, <laughs> but we were left with this thing of 
some things still happened, even if Peter doesn't remember, like, his deal with Mephisto. So what what do people remember happening? Yeah. Kind of. So Joe Quesada, desperately trying to make this shit stick, wrote One Moment in Time, or Omit, which is a stupid name. <laughs> this is the higher regarded version of Peter gets rid of his marriage and, like, makes everyone forget who he is. Well, not marriage, because in this version, he was never married. But, right. like, Peter ends his relationship with Mary Jane and makes everyone forget who he is. But it still was not well-received because no one has ever given up on Mary Jane ever since he married her. Like, mm-hmm. eh, fucking I didn't. But in this one, because his life was destroyed by the Civil War, he goes to Strange to help him out. And Strange and Tony Stark, who are on opposite sides of the Civil War at this point, agree to get together and help. And everyone loses their memory of who Spider-Man is, except for Mary Jane, because he pulls her into the spell at the last moment, and she can't handle the stress anymore of really anything and breaks up with him. Mm. Which does not make sense with... Never mind. Not going into that. That's not what this episode is. But... It's not a great storyline, but Marvel has a pretty good track record of taking, like, bad storylines with interesting ideas. And just using that idea. Uh Uh-huh. Because everyone's figured out who Spider-Man is. So he goes to Strange for help, but because he's Spider-Man, things go fucking terribly. It's a pretty solid story. I really want Zendaya to get a lot of screen time as Mary Jane. Agreed. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited that Raimi has Spider-Man again, though, just in general. I'm kind of... I never thought I would say this. I'm kind of getting tired of parallel universe stories. Okay. There's just been a fucking lot of them. Like, it started years back with Fringe, and it's just kind of become... I mean, in the same way that time travel was for a little while, it's becoming parallel Earth being, like, the big sci-fi storyline to go with. And they're still doing great, so I'm not like done with it, but there's, I'm also, we already uh, have spider verse. I'm sorry. I've yelled at a bunch, but I'm just sort of, I mean, I mean, I'm curious to see how this interaction with the multiverse fills in what we've learned from Loki, which you haven't watched Loki yet. Have you? No, but I've okay. picked up bits and pieces because mm-hmm. I run three nerd things podcasts yeah 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 i don't know I'd be curious anyway it looks good it looks well done they've done well so far so i'm not worried about it all right for our last one and this is just kind of a follow-up on a few things that we've been talking about with a bunch of creators going to substack including jonathan hickman and the question of was he going to leave the x-men early even though House of X, Powers of X, the whole Hickman in charge of the X line, Krakoa age, has been the most successful X-Men have been in 20 years. The answer is yes, but not in the way that we were all expecting. We thought Hickman was just going to kind of like fuck off and leave for Substack and be done with Marvel. Turns out, no, he had already planned to leave X-Men early before the Substack thing even came up. Because he planned his X-Men run as three acts. The Krakoa Age was the first act. And he's like, okay, I have finished the first act. I am ready to go on to act two. 
but I'm not the only person in this creative group making X-Men comics. There's like fucking 30 of us. Mm -hmm. Are you guys ready to move on to the next act? And apparently like to a person, they all were like, no, no, we're not like this is, there's so much cool things happening here that we haven't even started to unpack yet. And he's like, okay, cool. We'll keep going. Fuck. I'm going to leave the X-Men early. Cause like he, he's like, Oh, I can't tell the story that I was set up to tell anymore. And I'm I like what we've done. I like where it's going. I am happy. These guys are enjoying this, but I'm not going to kind of stay stuck in my story where I am, mm -hmm. which is a very Hickman thing. Hickman likes to change stuff a lot and then put the toys away and be done with the story. That's not what's happening here. So he's taken off. And in probably 15 years, we will get a truncated version of like the real house of X in the same way that they did with clone saga about 10 years ago. Like this is what his vision originally was. Cause we'll be talking about that for the rest of comic history. Yes. What was Hickman's original plan? And that's my, my biggest bummer about all this is that I'm not going to get to see the, the plan the way he wanted it to play out. Because it's very obvious reading those comics that there is a plan in place. Mm -hmm. That being said, uh, this has set up some of the most interesting jump off points for every single X character I, I have ever fucking seen. I do not blame the creators at all for being like, there is too much here for us to play with, for us just to ditch this. Like, we will never get this shot again. I also don't blame Hickman for deciding to take off, and I'm bummed because I was much more interested in seeing Hickman's complete vision mm -hmm. than seeing other people eventually have to get us out of Hickman's vision. Yeah. And that's where like, this is going to be really good for a while, but at some point they're going to want to go back to Westchester because that's how the X-Men do and returning us there. I can't fathom how that's going to be done. Interesting. Hickman does have another major Marvel book coming up soon, but they haven't announced who yet. Is almost certainly Spider-Man. Oh. Oh? Oh, I can't wait. Oh, okay. Like that. I was about to ask, like, who do you think it is? But I, so, if you, you, I guess you already have your ear to the ground on this. Uh, yeah, the, this is, there's, <laughs> I am say almost certainly, that's almost entirely me giving my opinions. Okay. But Hickman has already done Fantastic Four, Avengers, and X-Men. He's done the other three major pillars it's weird to call the Fantastic Four a major pillar, but it kind of is if you look at, like, the classic setup of the universe. The only other big-name one he hasn't really done is Spider-Man. And even when Spider-Man was in the Avengers, it was Superior Spider-Man, and he largely just didn't touch him. Spider-Man also has a new... Because Nick Spencer just left Spider-Man for Substack. It's been a huge, big run, and who's going to come next has been a big question. Then they're also doing this big, like, Spider-Man event thing where it looks like Peter's... Everyone thinks Peter's going to die, but they just show him in a hospital bed. So I think he's just going to be horrifically injured. And it's revealed that Ben Riley will be becoming Spider-Man again. Okay. And the creative team is like 10 people. Jesus. It's like five writers and five artists. And I don't know if it's going weekly again. They've done this before. Mm -hmm. But like they're putting some time into this book. They did that on the X-Men right before they launched Hickman's book to have this like interesting fill in time where you could do some still pretty cool stories, but give other people breathing room to 
create what the universe is going to be, I think Hickman's going to get Spider-Man. And you know what? That could be pretty cool. That could be cool. That could be cool. I'd be interested to see what he does. It'll be the biggest challenge that he's had, I think, because he's not always great at, like, the personal humanity of a character. Do they continue to allow him the obvious freedom that they have allowed on the Xbooks? I can't imagine that you hire Hickman without being like, all right, this is going to be a fucking wild trip. Just have fun. I mean, he made the Fantastic Four a bestseller again. Fantastic Four has never been a terrible seller, but like, I think it was outselling Batman at one point. That's insane. Of, I mean, they gave him Secret Wars. Like, you don't do the guy who wrote Secret Wars and not give him a lot of free reign. You're not going to get Hickman if you do that. I'm trying to think of who I would, like, Spider-Man is interesting because it's not who I immediately would have thought of. But I also don't immediately have a character coming to mind besides the one he's already, besides who he's already written. I would like, fucking love to see the Defenders. That would be, like, my top choice. I mean... So, like... Doctor Strange, Hulk, Silver Surfer, Namor defenders, never going to happen. Midnight Suns? <laughs> never yeah. going to Oh my god, I would love that. I mean, his book Shield is, even though it ended kind of weird because it got delayed for like four years, one of my favorite thing Marvel has put out in the 21st century. Hickman's good. I'm so it's but it's just a matter of who next. I'll actually be curious to see him not write a team book, because I've never seen that. X-Men, Fantastic Four, Secret Warriors, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. I, yeah, I don't... Two Avengers books. I was going to say, the, the, the one thing I've read of his that I don't think I would consider necessarily to be a team book, though it does involve a lot of characters, mostly in dis disparate circumstances, yeah, yeah. though, is uh, like one of my favorite books of the past decade is East of West. Oh, I haven't read that one. I was, but I mean, Manhattan Projects is also a lot. He always does large casts. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was, the reason I'm thinking Spider-Man <laughs> though, is because there is a decent collection of spider books at this point. So they could do another little mini relaunch in the style of house of X powers of X, you know, him leading the main Spider-Man book. And then we still have miles Morales, which Saladin Ahmed has been killing on, but like, mm -hmm. how long is he going to stay on? Especially because he's got his own Substack coming up. Uh, Silk has relaunched and has some other good stuff going. Uh, Spider Gwen doesn't have a book currently, but it's just a matter of time. Spider yeah. Woman. That's true. Yeah, I can. I like. I like I'm the idea of him being on like, Spider Man, but like, and I kind of overall head of the Spider Universe for uh -huh. a bit, de facto. Yeah. And he could do, I mean, he has shown with X-Men that he could do it. Please just let him complete his vision this time. Don't clone sock at this. Yeah. Yeah. Is that all for our news? It's all for the, all. We went forever there. Yeah, that's all for our <laughs> news. <laughs> all right, we're going to take a small break, and then uh, we will recollect some of our memories from Zed War One. All right, so World War Z. I don't know how you let me Topically talk. Topically hitting this in the year 2021, the very recent 2006 <laughs> World War Z novel. <laughs> I don't know how you let me talk you into this one, other than maybe the insane cast on the you audio You said the book. words Mark Hamill. Oh, okay. Um, but honest, it seems like you were pleasantly surprised. I like, was all ready to go into this and not like it. 
Like, and I was trying to, you know, I always try to go into things with an open mind. But I was really ready for it to be like our my opinion of Justice League versus yours, where I was like, this was not my fucking bag. But I see why you like, like, why it works for you. And for about the first third of the book, I was pretty ready for, like, that to be the... But fuck, this book really worked for me. And that audio... I don't have any desire to read it, but I'll probably listen to the audiobook again. Like, that audiobook is out of this fucking world. There's uh, so many people in there's it. There's so many people. Okay, this is going to take, like, a minute. Uh-huh. But to give credit where credit's due and to point out what we mean by there's so many people in this... I'm just going to run through the cast real quick. Okay. Don't do the, like, playing so-and-so, because I don't know the names of anyone, and it doesn't matter. Just the, but, like, do the actors. Okay. All right. So, yeah, here's just the actors. Uh, Max Brooks, Steve Park, Frank Kamai, Nathan Fillion. <laughs> Was not ready for him. Paul Sorvino, Ade McCormack, Carl Reiner, Walid Zwiter. J.O. Sanders, Dennis Bootsakaris, Martin Scorsese, Simon Pegg. I didn't, okay, I'll, actually, I'm going to ask, who was Simon Pegg in this one? I did not catch him at all. Uh, Grover Carlson. Oh, Carl Rove. Guy shoveling shit. <laughs> that was Simon Pegg? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fucking funny. Uh, Denise Crosby. Bruce oh, Tasha Yar was Oh, I know who she was too. Okay. Uh Bruce Boxleitner, a Jay Naidu, Nikki Klein, Jerry Ryan, Henry Rollins, Maz Jabrani, Mark Hamill, Eamon Walker, Jurgen Prochnow, David Ogden Styers, Michelle Colos Brooks, Cal Penn, Alan Alda, Rob Reiner. Dean Edwards, Frank Darabont. I'm still fucking good. How? Parminder Nagra, Brian T, Masioka, Frank Kamai, John Turturro, Rick Young, Alfred Molina, John McElroy, Common, F. Murray Abraham, Rene Aubergenois. Aubergeno. Yeah, him. That's the third Star Trek person they've you've mentioned. <laughs> That's all of them, finally. God, there were so many people. Um, okay, so before I talk... So nerdy standouts, of course, probably already jumped out at you. Mark but. Hamill, several of those. Alan fucking Alda? Yeah. Like, we haven't really ever talked about it, but I fucking love MASH. Same here. <laughs> oh, my God. However, also, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit. Alan Alda, especially later day Alan Alda... Was pretty much just playing play, Alan Alda. Yeah. But I don't care. He was also, honestly, and I didn't expect this, him and uh, Mark Hamill were my favorite parts. Beyond just being my favorite actors of that list, Yeah, they both did fucking great. I'm as, I was especially excited that like Hamill knocked it out of the park because the Yonkers bit is actually one of my favorite parts of the book. And that's not what I would have expected the role Hamill to have gotten was. I guess let's back this up for a bit and mention I've read the book about 20 times. Mm -hmm. This was my first. Uh, this is actually a good intro in this. I had this thought as I was listening to this, because as I said, we both did the audiobook because we wanted to hear this wild fucking guest. I wonder how this book hits differently for me 
versus people who read it before coronavirus as a major virus that almost destroys the world coming out of China. Right. And there were bits where I was like, oh, Tyler, <laughs> did you do this to me on purpose? Because, <laughs> I mean, I've been really open about the fact, like, I still haven't watched fucking Bo Burnham's Inside. I don't really have it in me for the most part at this point in my life to watch coronavirus related things mm -hmm. because I read the fucking news and that's, and I am alive in the year 2021. <laughs> like there's only so much fucking coronavirus I can deal with in any given time. So I wondered about that. But then the other thing is it was so interesting to try to identify the cl uh, celebrities they were clearly <laughs> like coming up with. Right. And a lot of these are original characters, but there are a few who are, either very clearly talking about a real life person uh, or based off a real life person and like trying to stretch back my mind to, in a lot of cases for me, the ones I identified were politics circa 2006. Uh, yeah. So who did, who are you thinking of? Who do you, who do you think you caught? Okay. Well, the Bill Maher and Ann Coulter both yes. briefly come up because they talk about that guy with the comedy show. And I was like, fucking John Stewart. But then they talk about him fucking, how do they phrase this? Porking his political rival or something yeah. like that. I'm like, oh, that's Bill Maher and Ann Coulter, mm -hmm. which let's be honest, kind of fuck both of those people. But like they yes. were huge political online or not online TV personalities in that time. The wacko, the vice president, later president is what is that? Howard Dean, Howard Dean, who I had to explain who Howard Dean was to Stephen when I was talking about this. Howard Dean was a 2004 presidential contender whose career was destroyed because he made a stupid noise on TV. Yeah. He got really excited and he's like, we're going on to this and we're going on to that and we're going yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. He only did it once and it fucking just literally going, yeah, destroyed his career. Which is insane. And I don't blame, like, the new uh, people like Jon Stewart who are like, did you fucking see that? Like, right. of course you would. It was hilarious. But it became the number one thing to talk about on the news. It became the number one, like, no one could focus on anything. He became the hia guy instead of what I want to say was a pretty good platform, but I don't know because he's yeah, a I don't fucking 2004 well presidential candidate. Yeah. I was 16. I'd have to look it up. I want to say he probably wasn't terrible from what I've heard. He was better than John Kerry from what I yeah. remember, but I don't fucking know. But when we look at how, where politics have gotten to the idea of a guy's career self-destructing because he yelled, he ah, fucking hurts. <laughs> All right. So who was he vice president for? I had originally thought, cause I got this one wrong. Cause I was texting you about it. I thought it was John McCain at first, right? Because it's a Republican president to his, Democratic. But then they mentioned some more. They detail. mentioned that he's black, but he's a very measured. And I had, I gave up and looked it up and went, Oh fucking duh. It's really heavily implied. This Colin Powell. Yes. Here's a fucking war criminal, but we're not getting into that. He's and, one of the less war criminals of the war criminals. Um, and it's implied that they wanted Obama to be his VP, but they didn't want two black people on the ticket. Well, Probably Obama. This is when Obama was just starting because mm -hmm. you have to remember Obama's catapult from fucking nobody, Illinois, what is a senator mm -hmm. to president 
was one of the fastest in American history. Yes. So, like, he's probably just starting to be recognized when this book was written. But it is probably Obama. Uh, you said Karl Rove, which I did not catch. But he was the one that was made the fake vaccine? No, he was the what, former... The one that covered everything up for the Patsy president. Okay, yes. I get those two combined. I did have the thought, as we're screaming at people around us to get vaccinated, which... Go get fucking vaccinated if you haven't. Please, we're begging you. We've really kind of baked anti-vax stuff into our media, haven't we? With stuff like World War Z with a fake vaccine, or someone was telling me about a Tom Clancy thing with a fake vaccine. Like, it's just oh. kind of become a, like, here's how we'll get people. No, just take it. Oh, and then there was, <laughs> there was one other, I think... Who is it? Howard Stern. Oh, is mentioned. They definitely mentioned Howard Stern because it was that. And DJ he survives. Jokes. Of course, Howard Stern would fucking survive. He survives and has a show again afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think who else. Nelson Mandela. Yeah, that one was uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know how I felt about that part. It makes me feel a little bit better that uh, Redecker gets completely broken by it. Maybe the critique that I have of this novel is he makes some decisions for how he thinks countries would act. And he picked a couple countries that maybe a white guy shouldn't be commenting on how these countries would respond. South Africa basically being, being like, they brought back apartheid. I was like, oh, I don't know if you are the person who should get to talk about that. Um... And it's not a huge critique. It's interesting. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff is interesting, but there are a few points where it's like, oh, you're very white to make some of the choices you're making here. I super agree with how he thinks Russia would do things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Putin becoming God Emperor? I hadn't put together that that was specifically Putin, but of course it was fucking Putin. Um, which, I mean, he I would. think he mentions his KGB background uh, at some point. Okay. Because Russia collapses and then becomes the Holy Russian Empire. And the president starts, he declares himself the head of the church. So he's basically, you know, God Emperor, Pope King. Actually tracks a lot with a whole lot of Russian history. <laughs> and will kind of track with some of the stuff that I'm going to have for my recommendation today. Uh, and is also implying the return of him just naming himself Tsar. Yeah, they'd have a, you know what, uh... You know what Caesar is in, in Russian. In Russian. Like, yeah, I do. Czar. <laughs> come on. That's not. Yeah, there's a couple of other celebrities that are referred to in not very polite terms. But like, because we had an obvious Paris Hilton. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure it was Paris, but it was someone. It makes sense that it was Paris. I'm pretty very sure. Uh, very briefly mentioned, so I can't say he was rudely described, but I believe one of the mentions uh, dating back to when this book was written would have been Ruben Studdard was there. I don't know. Who uh, he is. won the second American Idol. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, they did mention American Idol. Oh, I know who we're talking about. The, the thing I found interesting about this, though, is because that was right around the time that I was becoming and much more... Wait, let, that's possibly supposed to be Trump's place. Where? Oh, where they're all gathered up. Yeah, where all the celebrities... That tracks. I mean, Trump was doing The Apprentice at the time. Mm-hmm. That was interesting about this of, you know, I was 2006 I said I was 16 and this is the point that I was really catching on to a lot more of like 
celebrity culture and the world around me, and I got to kind of stretch a knowledge base that I haven't thought about in 15 years. Yeah. Because who cares about pop celebrities and politicians from 2006? Like, Right, and I think like, I first read this probably in 2000 seven or eight. So it was a lot fresher. They were still kind of in the zeitgeist as opposed mm -hmm. to, but it's not going to be long until people are reading this. Like, and if they read it for the first time, they won't know, they won't catch any of those illusions, which is something that's really interesting about fiction in general to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's not good or bad. It's just is how the world works. There was a movie that made a lot of money. And I'm told it was a you decent might be movie. listening. Mm, oh, okay. You might be listening to this because it's about World War Z. Maybe I should point out something. Like the book is far different. I guess if you don't know anything about the book, the way this is set up, it's a it, Ken Burns documentary. Yeah, it's because we haven't really we went through the cast, but we didn't really explain like why there was such a big cast. Really, it's supposed to be twenty years after the beginning of the zombie war, and about ten years after we've declared "quote unquote" victory against the zombies. Civilization is rebuilding, and they send out this guy to gather facts for what's essentially the commission report. Who I think is also just called Max Brooks. Like he just—they never give him a name, but it's it's him. It's Max Brooks. After he goes and gets all of this info, when the report's published, he goes, "What the shit? Where's all the info that I got for you?" And they're like, "Yo, this is a fucking commission report. We were looking for like straight, verifiable <laughs> facts and facts, numbers, not the... <laughs> and not personal stories. But there's nothing stopping you from printing those personal stories." And so this is supposed to be all the interviews that he did for the report. And it basically tracks the course of the war across however many characters I named. And it's and heartwarming and funny and sad and terrifying. And amazing. And not really about zombies. And they even, almost never come up. And even the parts that you can poke holes in, you have to admit that this is maybe the most well thought out zombie thing ever. Mm -hmm. I want to hear the parts that we can poke holes in. Cause I was just like living the experience. There's a whole lot of America post world war two or in world war two romanticism. Mm -hmm. When America starts like industrial steel kind of stuff going down, there was some hard world war two vibes. America's leading the charge to take the uh, retake the blah, 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 blah. Right, but that's kind of subverted because you get to see where America's truly at by the end. Like, you get all those stories told from the American characters and the people that were helping perpetrate it, but, mm -hmm. like, by the end, Cuba's the world's major superpower. Russia's expanding. Yeah. I mean, retaking stuff. America's kind of just mostly doing okay. Yeah. Not the best, not the worst. Definitely, but definitely not the best. Yeah. Like, got a lot of shit fucked up and has basically been reduced to uh, strongholds along the West Coast. Although, by the end, they've retaken most of... They have made the push east. Um, It felt a lot like Britain, honestly, post-World War II mm -hmm. to me, of, like, still did really well, had that whole, like, wartime mentality and the wartime economy pushing it along. That's the part that really made me think of America. But not the world's biggest global superpower at the end of it. No. 
some places have got it real bad. France got it real bad. Iran and Pakistan had it real bad. North Korea's just depopulated. Well, North Korea, nobody knows. That was the most terrifying part of the book to me. And not even because, like, the specter of North Korea, but just... They just disappear? That concept of everyone just... Radio signals slowly stop appearing. No one knows. No one's gone in because... The one time they get close, automated defenses go go off. Ah, and, like, North Korea is a very mountainous region. Going through and clearing that out of zombies is a... Is a bad day. But there's no... Yeah. But if there is zombies, they're all together. Uh-huh. By so the millions. 25 million. Yeah. Who knows? But nothing good. Uh, like, that's terrifying. I think the Paris Catacombs was the most terrifying for me. Also, credit to Rene Opochono on his fucking performance there, even with his bad French accent that he loves to use. Because <laughs> he uses the exact same one in Archer when he appears in there in the first season. But, oh my god, that was claustrophobic and uncomfortable. <laughs> Where, so, okay. How do we want to do this? Well, I was, I was going to ask, the first third, like, and here's the thing, the first third of this bu- book is intentionally a giant fucking bummer. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. But where where does the change occur for you? Like where, where were you? Does, where, where did I swap over to? Yeah. At what point? Like what little moment were you like, oh shit, I actually really like this rather than. Um, I recognized it was really good from the very beginning, and some of the ones Cal Penn's bit as the one Indian soldier and watching the like general he hero warships. Yeah. And some monstrous decisions are made in that storyline, but like you also are hard pressed to disagree with them. If you're looking at this as a like all or nothing situation mm-hmm. and just Cal Penn did an excellent job in that. The Mark Hamill at Yonkers where Mark Hamill plays just a normal soldier in the U.S. military during that story. That horrendous engagement. Throughout the, because Hamill, I think, reappears more than anyone else. Yes. Does. And he just plays your average Joe soldier who just manages to survive fucking everything. And he fucking took it home. But honestly, it might have been Alan Alda, which is the moment that it switched from like, and to, all right, fucking yeah, let's do this. Because, and this is just a thing about me. I don't do well with media that's just watching something die. Yeah. I don't say it's not good art. I don't say it's not, it's just not media that works for me. I need hope. Just, I intrinsically need hope in my media. In the moment that we were like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's work on this. And let's discuss kind of how the world looks beyond just the, like, fighting and killing zombies and being horrifically eaten. Um, That's the part that I really started, like, I'm really into this. But actually, it might be further back. It might be either the girl that goes up north with her parents and they end up basically Donner partying, partying it. Oh yeah. Um, but the, and then the other one that I was like, Oh shit, this is good. Even though if it keeps doing this, I'm not going to be able to finish this. The, the woman who's the, the woman who's in, has the mind of a four year old because she like, yeah, the feral child. Uh, she wasn't full feral, but who it is revealed that she, her mother hit her in a church and then tried to like kill her to make sure the zombies wouldn't get her, but she escapes. 
and it's the like most horrifying moment in this book, probably because it it's also the most visceral. Even if the full grown adult doing the four year old voice was only sort of worked. Yeah, I wasn't. Um, credit to the actress; she tried. She gave it her all. This is the one that I would like most. Be like, fuck! I don't want that speech. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to be the one to try to have to do that. Honestly, like, I feel like everybody did a good job. I will say that some of them sounded like they had more time with the material than others. Which is probably true yeah. of some people being like, yep, I can fit in an hour, and others they are like, I can do this for a few days. Yeah, um, um, yeah, that's probably absolutely true. I don't know what their working schedule <laughs> was like. And when you're only being called on to do 10 minutes anyway. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Hers... The v- wasn't my favorite voice performance, but Jesus, how do you do that? So Yeah, and it's, I think, one of... I don't want to call it a high point of the book, but it is one of the most, like, pop-out-at-you moments of the book. It does a really good job of people are the real monsters, but not at the same time, because it's kind of hard to, like... Because she was also saved by a person. She was saved by a person, and on some level, if we're really going to put this all-or-nothing, it, like situation that the world is put in in this book it's hard to blame a mother for wanting to like this sounds bad but choke out your daughter so and like die relative like in your arms relatively peacefully versus torn apart by zombies only to possibly come back as one to come back as a zombie yeah especially when you're not saying she was right but i'm not saying that woman was like I can see where that woman's logic came from in that kind of situation. Well, and, and did you did you catch later that they Hamill finding that church. found that church or a church like it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this book was really good at like callbacks as people were, and it's much later in the book as people are like refinding territory, finding stuff that was mentioned earlier on. Um, well, yeah, okay. Since you brought, since we're talking about the callbacks real quick, I found a, a nice little list of the callbacks just oh, in good. case you didn't catch them all because there's a them. fucking shit ton of them. And I don't even know if this is actually all of them, but the diver mm-hmm. mentions finding the Chinese sub. Oh, the, the one that they sunk? Yes. Cool. I'm sorry if you haven't listened to World War Z. Some of this is going to make no sense. This is a not great episode for you, but I just don't know how to do this book without... It's so in-depth. I did not know it was as deep as this. I would have been like, oh, Tyler, buddy, if I had known. (laughs) And I'm really glad that I didn't, because I'm really glad that I got to read this and do it. But, like, this is... So, Hamill's character, Todd Mm -hmm. Wino. Wino. He comes across the church, or a church very similar, at least... Uh, I think it's I think it's the it's church, supposed to be the but. same church that Sharon was from. But he also served with uh, Captain Avalon, who was, who was the, the girl that sang Avalon um, at the Battle of the Five Colleges. OK, that's mentioned that us uh, that Scorsese made the film of that. The of course, Steven that was Spe- Scors- where they put Scorsese. That well, it wasn't Scorsese's voice, though. Oh, OK. It was. um the other, oh, what's his name? It was Frank Darabont as Roy Elliott, who's supposed to be the Steven Spielberg stand-in. This book is so complicated. That mentions that Marty was the one that made that movie. Okay. 
Alan Alda mentions still wanting to arrest the guy that created Phalanx that we caught. Yeah, that we he's the guy earlier. that's hiding out on mm-hmm. the South Pole. Oh, that guy was hateable. Um, the guy that wrote the uh, the report that the Israeli government got. Yes, came across the psychological evaluation of Nathan Fillion. I did catch that one. Nathan Fillion played just a soldier. He kind of played his character from Halo ODST. That's yeah, actually. Um, and the blog of the nurse of the doctor in South America. Okay. Wow, that's that one's a bit of a deep cut. That is <laughs> the fucking crazy looking whiteboard this guy had to fucking have. Like, it is just the meme of the dude from Always Sunny, like looking insane in front of like the whiteboard and pins look. Henry Rollins, who was the mercenary. Okay, that tracks. Mentions running into Nathan Fillion trying to find peace amongst the monasteries at Meteora. Oh, I didn't realize that was Fillion's character. The gal that went to... Uh, the gal that went to Canada. The Donner Party gal. Mm-hmm. She mentions running into an Iranian former pilot who was looking for somewhere to, f- to settle down. Who was the Iranian character we had. Yeah, Ahmed Farakian. Okay. Was that Jerry Ryan who played that woman? Uh, yes, I've, or no, no, uh, Jerry Ryan was somebody else. Okay. I'm just starting to play this game now that I was like recognized a few names. Jerry Ryan was the Russian woman. Yeah, okay, now that you say that, I can hear it very... Seven of Nine always plays the like schlockiest roles, and I love her for it. It's never confirmed, but it's hinted that... The old man that uh, the otaku boy finds the sword of Mm -hmm. was the older brother of the monk that he eventually. Huh. Okay. (laughs) Fucking this (laughs) fucking. Oh, and then the other one was uh, the gal in Troy, Montana that designed it mentioned her coworker, Miss Inez leaving to the Canadian Arctic. And then later uh, in one of Mark Hamill's stories, he mentions uh, having talked to like a commander in as that had originally been real estate down in California. Jesus. Oh yeah. I remember that. Jesus. That's all of them. This is like the Discworld books as like the like characters interweaving through, but all in one book. I guess, what were the moments that, like, stand out to you? Like, what are your pick, like, I don't know, do you have, like, a top? Well, I guess, first, like, I should mention, like, this book, the first time reading it, was mm-hmm. one of the books that I didn't put down. I read this in one go the first time. I didn't listen to it all in one go, but I listened to it in three, and it's a 12-hour, no, in two, and it's a 12-hour book, so, like, that is some time. And... I continue to reread it because some of the, it continues to be able to met, like elicit some of the same feelings in me. Like the last third of the book, I end up feeling like overall really triumphant. We got a shot. Yeah. We can do this. Like we're able to pull together and do this. And the first part of the book brings me down. Like, yeah, like we're screwed. Like this sucks. Um, standout moments. I've always loved the Yonkers bit, even before hearing Mark Hamill do it. 
like it's screwed up to, but it's really well thought out and it's a weird, just terrifying devolving into this just group chaos and something that should have been easily avoided. In some ways it really does like mimic the U S world war two to Korea or world war two to Vietnam Mm -hmm. feel that the U S actually went through. Cause it's like, yeah, we're the best military in the world at the end of world war two, or at least, you know, top five. Uh, and then like, we are wildly unprepared for anything that's not world war two. Especially cause I, like I said, I read this the first time, like 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. somewhere around in there, uh, much like, like the, the virus and plague portions of it stick out now. Like very having the U S having far more recently went into Iraq and I've Afghanistan at that point, mm-hmm. all the bits of talking about how the media talks about the brush fire war as is mentioned time and time again in the book stood out a lot more then. I will say like, I mean, yes, COVID hit harder. What's going on in Afghanistan the week that we're recording this because we're pulling out of the forever war that definitely hit home still. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like it doesn't hit home still, which sucks. I think this book is a lot more romantic of the U S military still though, than we would have if this book was written today. Yes. But it does. But I do get why people like World War II movies so much because they make a good story. And just, I don't know, just the storytelling and like, it's kind of disgusting, but just the vivid, super dark humor at the end of like, you ever see a, a fucking, a G walking around with its lungs hanging out its mouth? Give him my number. I was like seeing meet another veteran in Yonkers. That is gross. <laughs> but um, well done. I think it was I wasn't expecting to like Mark Hamill's character so much because the kind of World War II style grunt soldier story doesn't usually work for me as well, but he brought he was probably the most relatable person in this series. Um I also love the Alan Alda bit. Mm. I love it more having heard now Alan Alda do it. But I love, like you said, that's really, truly the turnaround moment. And if you only took this book before that speech or that interview and repeated it for the rest of the book, and it's kind of what some zombie movies or zombie media does. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it is, and it leads to kind of a downer ending. But there's ways to still wrap up the story that makes sense even without a happy turnaround. But you could argue for it glamorizing all of that a lot more until you get to what actually turns it around for humanity. And Alan Alda points out like a lot of how coming together again as communities is really what What's turns it, it around. Yeah. There's something so kind about Alan Alda's voice that even though he's talking about making decisions, the you know, would be unpop that even I would probably have issues with if like Biden said he was going to do it tomorrow, but that actually aren't necessarily wrong was, uh, interesting. Like it's so hard not to 
talk about this book without the major things happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying not to just scream politics at everybody, <laughs> but like people thinking of the public good instead of the individual right for the first time in like 40 fucking years was really fucking refreshing. I'm swearing a lot. I'm not sorry. And then I, I really like the story of the, uh, the downed pilot. Yeah, that was, it was a fun little ghost story, which is not something you would expect in a already huge zombie apocalyptic epic epic. And it, and it fits. Yeah. And it's a good ghost story in its own right. Not the like most revolutionary ghost story, but it's, well, I also like the blind guy. That one didn't grab me nearly as much. That one's super tropey. It's very good. I'm not attacking, but just, I think, I don't know. It didn't stand out as much tropey in the same way as like the other Japanese guy who becomes his second in command, who was like, I was a fucking shut in and um, I had to get down 19 floors like that story. I was very into for some reason, Uh, but there's three things that are mentioned in this book that are only ever mentioned and we never hear their stories. And they've always stuck with me Mm -hmm. since the first time through the three things that I want to hear about the American alpha teams kind of sounded like SG one, but for zombies hero city. Yeah, what is Hero Hero City? City, it's they they mention it a few times. There's gigantic losses, but it's implied that New York never falls. I could see how that would be possible with like Manhattan Island. Mm-hmm. That like it almost falls and like But they're able to repel. And it's and so Hero City is kind of a historical reference. Um World War II. Uh, post-World War II, there were cities in Russia that were named hero cities because of the way they held, like Leningrad. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that's kind of the implication, like, that was American Leningrad except against zombies. And 500 Maori taking on half of infected Auckland. <laughs> and it imp- it's implied they won. I believe it. So what is, I probably should have asked this before we really dive into it. What is your relationship with the zombie genre? I guess like I was trying to think about this earlier in the day. Like, I guess I ingest a lot of zombie stuff, but it's not really my favorite. Well, cause I was thinking about this of other ways that it hits differently as you as traditionally horror positive and me as traditionally horror averse. Mm-hmm. It got really played out for a few years there, and I intentionally avoided a lot of zombie things well, for a this while. This is one of the things that kind of made it be so zombies got so played out, and I don't mean anything against Max Brook on this. This is probably my favorite thing to come out of the zombie obsession age of like 2005 to 2015. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that Jesus, zombies were literally everywhere in media for a while. And I say that, like, I kind of avoided zombies, and that's not even the truth. I, like, looking back at it, there was still very select zombie material that I would be like, oh, cool, I'm going to check this out. Well, and the amount of times you've mentioned Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, uh, but... Or the remake, I think you said it was, that you were really a big fan of. I did really like the remake, but that came out in, like, 04 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I watched it, like, 20 times between 04 and 06, and then 
haven't seen it since. <laughs> that was kind of what really kickstarted the zombie obsession because that led to stuff like Walking Dead and uh, World War Z, and those were the two things that really put it into the zeitgeist. But like, I I pretty much avoided Walking Dead like on purpose for a while. Mm -hmm. And then I did go back and try to get into it. And like, I understand why people like it. It's just not for me. That's where I fell on the comic. I, I had the first 50 issues. Like someone bought me an omnibus and I read about half of it and went, yeah, it's fucking well-made. Someone else should definitely like take this and enjoy it. But like, yeah. And of, like over the course of doing fried squirms, I've watched a I've, lot of fucking zombie movies. Not a lot because I mean, Danny's uh, agrees with me. Like zombies are kind of played out and he, are also not his favorite. Mm -hmm. But there's some good zombie stuff out there. And so we try to like cherry pick that shit. And then this exists. Yeah. Which is one of the best zombie materials ever. And mostly because it's not about the zombies. But I'm trying to think Shaun of the Dead. Obviously, I was a big fan of. Still am, although it's not one I rewatch much. Uh, the first Zombie Land, I was a huge fan of, although I could not eat while watching it. Mm. It's a little gross. See, and that's the thing. I'm like, oh man, I I was avoiding zombie shit, and then I'm like, oh no. But you watched Fido, and you watched Shaun of the Dead, and you watched Zombie Land, and you watched. I played a shit ton of Left for Dead. I too. played a shit ton of Left for Dead and Left for Dead Two, <laughs> uh, and I liked Dead Rising, even though I never played much of it because I just didn't. Oh, uh, I liked Dead Rising and Dead Island. Never played Dead Island. And I think, really, for me, the, made way, the way to make zombies work is sort of the way to make horror work for me if it's going to be something I watch. Mix it with other genres. Mm. Funny zombie movies work for me clearly much better, but that also doesn't surprise me at all. Left 4 Dead 2 is probably my favorite out of all of that, but that's just because it was, a, like, a really fun strategy game. Oh, yeah, I used to play the shit ton out of fucking Resident Evil. Like... Never was into Resident Evil. When I was, like, seven years old, we had Resident Evil 2 on the PS1, and the first time I immediately got eaten. Mm hmm Like, immediately got eaten. And the second time, I shot a zombie, it fell on me, knocked me into the fire, and I burned to death. I played the game for maybe 10 minutes, died both of those ways, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. I don't think this is for me. <laughs> I'll come back to this, like, in about five years, and I just never did. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They're still, and they're still not my favorite. I love this book. I still, like, I tend to seek out, I don't know, vampire stuff more. This has made me want to pick up the Vampire Survival Guide. Mm. which is the book that I definitely rolled my eyes at because people were like, oh, you like nerdy shit. Let's talk about this. I'm like, I don't fucking care. And shut the fuck up, kid, because I probably should have cared on that one. Like, I uh, I wish I had read World War Z as a kid. I probably would be much more horror fan <laughs> than I am if I had. Yeah, you should have. No. <laughs> I, lo I love uh, Max Brooks's willingness to sort of... Uh, put down his fucking zombie survival handbook a little bit. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Uh, the couple times it's brought up, like he makes oh, fun the, of handbooks in this. Well, so. no, that when he brings up the civilian hand guide, that's, mm -hmm. that's what he's bringing up. It's cause he wrote the zombie survival hand guide before <laughs> like, this. You should not be listening to me. And you know, and like Parminder Nagra points out to him was like, yeah, it was, it was kind of useful, but <laughs> it was 
obviously very U.S. centric. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that. When I think of the, because I knew going into this that the movie is nothing to do with this past zombies. Yes. And I think a couple of names, but I'm not maybe, even sure about that. Maybe the names. I'm not oh, even no. sure about that. The, uh, uh, Brad Pitt's character is a UN like observer or something. Yeah. So basically the same job that Max Brooks had, but completely, completely different. Plus fast zombies. Plus fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're notably slow in this. Yes. Yeah. These are Romero zombies basically. I just kept visualizing what, how to do this as a movie. And it really was hire Ken Burns, the documentary maker and just let him do it. Like get someone to work with him for like, we need to do the Yonker scene or mm -hmm. whatever, but like let Ken Burns basically edit and narrate this. That would be so great. And you'd be fucking set. Oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool. And it's never going to happen. And it's too bad because I would have watched the absolute shit out of that. You know what else? Is, so I was thinking of something that's never going to happen on, on that note. And I kind of brought it up already. I want a movie of, <laughs> of, no, of the fucking, the 500 Maori directed by a combination of Taika and Edgar Wright. That's a little more comedy oriented than I would have expected, but I can see it. I would swap one of those for James Gunn, but I'm not sure which one I would swap. <laughs> yeah, that could be fun too. Or like if we could get all three of them. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz Gunn's super willingness for violence in a way that I don't I don't see the other two doing as much. Although Taika is not blood adverse. No. And <laughs> Edgar isn't violence adverse by any means. That's true. I mean, he did do Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. I think it could work. Yeah. For some reason, I was thinking of him as like his Scott Pilgrim work. But no, that's definitely like... You're right. Have you seen the trailer for his new one? What's his new one? Last Night in Soho. No, I haven't seen it. Ooh, it looks weird and thrillery. And maybe not very funny and very like mystery time travel -y. Well, I know I'm at least going to have to go look that up. Whether it's going to appeal to me or not, we're undecided. But I'm going to go fucking Google that. <laughs> it looks real good. Anyway, um, yeah, while we're saying things that are never going to happen to spin off from this, that's what I want to see happen. <laughs> Taika could make me watch a zombie movie. Yeah. Not many people can make me, like, actively seek out zombie movies. I've been meaning to watch the original Dawn of the Dead just because I never have. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's slow. Uh, yeah. It's real slow, but it's good. <laughs> I also kind of want to watch Nosferatu, the silent vampire movie, but that's going to have to be its own complete universe of thing. When I was like 20, I bought it because it made me feel really arty, but I never actually watched it. So it's on DVD at my house. Uh, bringing up Dawn of the Dead, I'm pretty sure that the at Yonkers, the helicopter pilot turning his blades against the zombies. Is that a Dawn of the Dead thing? I'm supposed, I think that's supposed to be kind of a 
a little bit of a shout out to the fact that one of the zombies in Dawn of the Dead gets his head, the top of his head lopped off by a helicopter blade. That would make sense. Pretty famously, because it's Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. As well as like all of in the Parmenonagra's segment when she's talking about Radio Free Earth, all of the rumors that she mentions that she was having to shoot down is all just like different zombie interpretations. <laughs> I wanted so much more about Free Earth, this radio station that was like playing across the earth, helping keep people alive. Ooh, that shit is my jam, especially coming from a radio family. Mm-hmm. Like my dad did radio. My granddad did radio. I briefly worked at a radio station in like the absolute least important jobs they could find for me. But like I was there. I did a tiny bit of college radio at the tiny bit of time I was in college. I mean, we're doing podcasts, so clearly we love radio. <laughs> Let's be real honest here. That segment ends rough, though. Every segment, almost every segment almost ends every. rough. Yeah, that's ooh, that one's bad, though. That's with all the 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 suicides after the people who had to listen to the last South American broadcasts. Yeah, this is. Oof, but how, oh, speaking rough, oh, Russia, Russia. Where Russia ends? All of Russia. All of Russia. (laughs) The decimations. Breeding farms, that it's, it definitely fits parts of Russian history where you would fucking go through. Russia has been willing to make some wild choices over the years. I don't know if I've ever noticed anybody else point this out. I did do a little bit of reading around on a couple of things once I finished listening to this audiobook, just to see if there's any other little little bit I might be able to bring other than having listened, not listened, read this fucking 20 times. Also, this might be the last audiobook I ever listened to. This takes way too goddamn long. And I like listening to other things while I read. See, I can't multitask. I used to be able to multitask like that. I can't anymore in the same way. So I do audiobooks a lot, but it's, you know, I have a 30 minute drive home every day. So like, I definitely mm-hmm. find a lot more time for stuff. I don't know if I've ever saw, seen anybody else catch this, but I thought it was kind of funny. Like I've seen people point out that like, of course, Mel Brooks's son is going to make sure that Israel did good. Yeah. And actually I was going to mention, I had no idea this was Mel Brooks's son until I was almost done. And I was like, actually that kind of makes sense. So that's that's just kind of funny, especially if you think about who it is. But did you notice he made the the Palestinian kid have to go down to Egypt first before he came up? Ooh. Huh. Huh. I was like, oh, shit. I, I hadn't noticed it till listening to this. Like, I've read this book 20 fucking times, and it was, like, listening through, and I'm, like, recounting, and I'm like, oh, oh. Was he living in Palestine at the beginning? For some reason, I thought they had, like... No, well, I think... I can't remember where he catches, like, where the interview's taking place, because I think it's somewhere completely different. Yeah. But, because it was the kid that was planning on, on joining... Some faction. Yeah. And when he says that, oh, yeah, so, you know, they were, we were going to go with the other refugees after his dad fucking slaps the shit out of him. He's like, no, we're fucking going. We're fucking going. 
He's like, yeah, we, so we were going to go into Israel. And it's like, so we went to Cairo. And that's when, like, Max Brooks is like, wait, what, Cairo? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know, things got routed a certain way. So we had to go down there and then take trucks up through the desert. Uh, this is... I'm trying to phrase what I'm going to say next very carefully because Israel is something that people have really strong opinions about that I don't want to go to on my nerd podcast. Right. But I'm trying to think of other media that has Israel do that well for itself, but still be as willing to be as critical of Israel as this book was allowed to be. Like, it, tr the, the Palestinian characters... And their anger at Israel in general was treated with a lot more respect than most, like, American pro-Israeli mm -hmm. media is. And then Israel in general, though, in this book does well and is the first ones to take it seriously. But, but also then also suffers a civil war because of it. Yeah, and it's willing to critique Israel. I don't know. It's so hard to talk about Israel in any way of uh, beyond, like, an all-or-nothing situation anymore, just in 2021. That it was interesting, I guess. That's all mm -hmm. I got on that. But I was just like, oh, shit. He made him go to... Made him take the journey up through the desert from Egypt to get to Israel. <laughs> to, to their... Uh, to safety. Yeah. I'm like, that's fucked up, but kind of neat that you did that. Who all had civil wars? They... Israel had civil war. China had a China civil had war. China had a civil war. Pakistan and Iran had a war with each other. And Russia... Didn't quite have a war, but it came pretty close to having a war. And, uh, and the U.S. had some secessionists. U.S. had some secessionists, and Cuba underwent a democratic revolution. That's true. With Fidel being the one to do that, which I'm mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I couldn't decide if I believed that or not. On one hand, it would be a very Fidel move to make. On the other hand, I don't know if he could have gotten over his ego enough to... Do it? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's kind of like what the book points out. It's possible if he could have seen far enough into how it would cement his status. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not expect this episode to be as, like, politically fraught on the subject. Because I'm like, we'll talk about the zombie, and then we'll talk about, you know, Israeli-Palestinian relations, and the Cuban embargo. And, and apartheid. Uh, and apartheid. And, oh my god, we're a nerd podcast. <laughs> it's what makes this book so this good, This book though. is fucking incredible, and I never... I, I was ready to enjoy it, even. Like, that's what I, I thought I'd either be pleasantly surprised, or, like... I see why you like it, but this book isn't for me. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this book was good. I'm not sure if this book is necessarily this good, but this book has led to, at times, the government approaching Max Brooks to teach at West Point. Hmm. That's kind of horrifying in its own way, but I also don't know what all degrees he has that he has worked into this. He's got good ideas. And he very specifically states that uh, the United States has uh, health care for all. By the end of it. By the end of it. Like, he is not subtle in his declarations that he's dropping that that happens now. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm on board. Well, I mean, once again, go back to Alan Alda's stuff and, like, the ideas behind what actually saves us. I'm down. 
in the year 2021, there's a lot of critiques of the post-war generation for very obvious reasons of places the United States has failed. We have. Sorry, guys. Mm -hmm. it, 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 there's places where we succeed, places where we failed. But man, going part back to parts of that, but for everybody, sure sounds like a good idea sometimes. There was one other interesting thing. This was the first time I've went through this after having watched all of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> which, which is kind of the same concept. Of but like, that's the thing. It's people having to make decisions in extreme end-of-the-species circumstances. Yeah, stuff that I... I'll never have to come up with, like, end-of-the-town circumstances, let alone end-of-all-mankind. And I realized, I guess, how much I enjoy that kind of story, especially when it's written well. It does not surprise me at all that that's your bag. <laughs> I guess it has to be written well, and those are just two really good examples. But... That's kind of true of everything. That, like, media's got to be well written, or it doesn't matter what it is. It just ain't going to be fun. I guess I, I like characters that occasionally just have to do things. Yeah. And, in, and in hindsight, they might even agree they did it wrong. But something had to be done in that moment. The Doctor talks about it a few times. Sometimes there's, like in Doctor Who, uh, she's got a quote, I think, farther into the series than you've seen, because you never finished the last season. No, not yet. Where she says, like, you know, sometimes there is no good answer, or there sometimes there's no good choice, but, like, you still got to make a choice. Uh, very much this concept. And fuck, it can be good. Mm -hmm. The thing that saves it is if you're going to have people who have to make that choice, that's fine. Like that, I see why. Having Alan Alda's character, who also sometimes is like the choice is kindness, is what saves these stories from being grim, dark horse shit. Well, you have, the, and you have the wonderful book, not just Alan Alda, but you have the wonderful bookend of um, uh, uh, Steve Park, who played the, the Chinese doctor. Mm -hmm. the and you open up the story with, you, he knew things were bad because his friend told him, don't worry. It's all going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Be and you end the story with him genuinely, after all of this, being able to say, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Which is great. Mm -hmm. God, I love hope. <laughs> God, I love hope. It's just... And that's, I mean, like I said, I, the, I remember the first time reading this, having to remind myself multiple times the next week that we didn't actually go through a fucking zombie war. Because I was still <laughs> feeling so, like, brought up by the ending. And had, like the the ingenuity and everything that ended up being shown in the last act of this, of the way everything still pulled together, and we fucking defeated Zach. Sorry, Zach. <laughs> Make me sad with the fucking zombies. <laughs> Try me. Um, All right, Quisling. Those were that actually was a fun idea though. It did, was that did Zombieland come out before or after this? Pretty sure after. Okay, so there's a good chance Bill Murray's cameo might have been inspired by the idea <laughs> of a quizling. Because he does. I mean, if you like, he just mm -hmm. hangs out and it works. Probably the best part of that movie. Well, I think the, the character thinks it's something French, right? 
that brings up Quislings? Yeah, I think so. From what I understand, I think it's another World War II reference. Probably. And I think it was like a Norwegian commander that sided with the Nazis or something like that. Ugh. Something something like that. Like it I think like it's a reference to a real person though. I mean, this book is fucking soaked with World War II. I don't know. We we brought up Yonkers and Alan Alda a number of times, uh, and you asked me what like sequences jumped out at me. Is there any others that we haven't brought up yet that maybe like they're like, oh shit, did something for you that we just haven't mentioned yet? The scene specifically where we're seeing Mark Hamill's character go east and he's working with the I can't remember what the weapon is called that they come up with, but the the close range weapon and like the volley shots. Oh yeah, the lobo. The lobo, that's it. And like learning to volley shot and going back to an era of like combat I actually know a little better. Mm-hmm. Thanks to my time on Art of Wargaming. And Oh, I really like that too. And explaining about the cherry pies and stuff. Yeah, that was a really f- like interesting thing. And him talking to his psychiatrist, being like, "These people are fucking crazy." <laughs> like, I need to burn. They're like, "No, they're just." It had a very mash feel to it on that part. And as I said, I fucking love mash. And like the craziness that people sometimes have to be to get through the high stress jobs. Mm-hmm. Same reason I love scrubs. Very different kind of high stress job in scrubs, but. Oh, also I love rat dogs. So I'm happy that they're the ones that were like the hero dogs of the war. That is pretty great. <laughs> a quizzling is a noun for a traitor who collaborates with an enemy force occupying their territory. Does it say where it comes from? Vidkun quizzling. That's a, that's the wrong accent to use there, but Vidkun Kisling was a Norwegian military officer, politician, and Nazi collaborator who nominally headed the government of Norway during the country's occupation by Nazi Germany during World War II. So he's the Norwegian that was willing to be the puppet for the Nazis. And Norway never liked that. Yeah. <laughs> they, like, it kind of... they. They didn't stay out of the war entirely, but like, mm. fun factoid. You know the character, the Phantom? Yeah. Part of the reason Norway knew that, uh, because Nazi Germany was telling them the rest of the world's fallen. Yeah. Stop rebelling. We've won. You're, you're all alone. But the Phantom era comics or the Phantom character comics were getting smuggled in from allied countries because they're, fu- the Phantom's fucking huge in Europe and Britain. And they were like, well, clearly you fucking didn't because Lee Falk is still right in the goddamn Phantom. The Phantom. He got a fucking hero's welcome. Oh, my God. When he went to Norway. Well, he got like a fucking ticker tape parade. He was a national hero for writing a purple guy that punched people with a skull ring. Billy Zane. Fucking love the Phantom. (laughs) But that's not what I just I can't. I cannot get over that fact. (laughs) Um, I don't really, we could go, I mean, it's a book you could technically go real deep on if we had prepared that way. I, yeah. One, a lot more preparation Two, we would need about 10 episodes. Yeah. Just break it into the different. We could do it for like Noob Island if we really wanted to, but it's not a general nerdery. Yeah. uh, I'm just really glad you ended up liking it because I knew. It's it's zombies. You're you were taking a reverse. shot in the dark here. Like yeah. this man. What's interesting is what works in a lot of cases for me is in the same way that I can listen to podcasts about like 
cryptids. Mm-hmm. If you look at it from a kind of documentary point of view, it's a lot easier for me to take this in. And I way prefer horror in the audio genre than I do movie horror, especially because so often that ends up being jump scares. Yes. Unfortunately. I fucking hate jump scares. I don't. I can't do it. Um, There's proper ways to do them. I talk about that on my other podcast. I respect it. They just don't work for me. That's what I got, though. That's, it, it's fucking great. Check it out. I fucking love it. Uh, well, what do you got for recommend? Uh, I'll go. I'll start a recommendation. I'll start a recommendation. Mine's mine's zombie related. All right. Yeah. So my recommendation, 2012 British zombie comedy film, Cockneys versus Zombies, uh, which is all about a, a couple Cockney characters who rush to go save their grandfather at like his assisted living facility. So it's a bunch of zombies attacking senior citizens and it's fucking hilarious. And the main like old guy is Alan Ford who is brick top in um, snatch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I could see how this, yeah, I'm down. It's, it's pretty fucking amazing when, when uh, slow zombies are just as fast as their victims. Oh, yeah. Has a kind of Bubba Hotep feel to it just because of a... Ta- oh, yeah, okay. I love Bubba. We did a fucking episode on your other show about how much I love Bubba Hotep. Yep. Um, yep. So Cockneys <laughs> versus Zombies. That's going to be my recommendation. Okay. Mine will come with a bit of a caveat, and I'll explain, but it's uh, last podcast on the left. Okay. And the caveat is... It just might not be for you, like, strongly. And I'm going to recommend listen to the Rasputin episodes. And if that one doesn't do it for you, just don't go any further. It's not going to work for you. But it is three really very white dude comedians talking about cryptids and serial killers and hauntings and, you know, horror shit. Can I add in a little thought? Yeah. I have hated these guys for years, not because of their podcast, but because they took the best podcast title for a horror movie podcast. Last podcast on the left. And then don't talk about horror movies. <laughs> I think they were originally supposed to, and it just didn't end up happening much. Um, because that is the such best a good name. name <laughs> one that I had come up with variations of myself when trying to name fried squirms until I found out that they They'd created already, that oh podcast. Man, we had that for a podcast I started and didn't finish called pot emperors of Dune. Damn you person who got to that before me. I, I sound really down on them. I think they're really funny, but I mean, they are, they've been doing this for 10 years. There's a bunch of dick jokes and it's just their style of humor does not work for some people I know. And some of those early episodes, cause it's, Weekly comedy for over a decade. There were a few jokes. I'm like, whoa, you would not tell that today. Mm-hmm. I get that. Fan of tell him Steve, Dave. I don't know if I can re-listen to some of those early seasons anymore. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, there's a whole thing about comedy doesn't always age well. And that's probably a good thing, mm-hmm. but most of it's good. Some of it, I'm like, oh boy. Okay. Right. I made similar jokes in 2007 and I apologize. Um, Actually, I heard somebody talking about why comedy ages so poorly one time. That also makes me sound way more terrible than I was. I was just... Yeah. Well, 
in general, comedy ages faster than anything else because comedy is more about subverting expectations than any other genre. So once you've subverted that expectation... There's only certain ways certain things can be subverted, and then we sometimes realize how shitty that was. Mm-hmm. Especially because we're just coming out of the shock humor era. Mm-hmm. Really glad to be back. <laughs> There's some great stuff, but really glad to be past the shock humor era. Um, but yeah, last podcast, it's actually very funny in a lot of parts of it. There are some episodes that don't work for me, but there's 450 episodes. Like, the fact that as many of them work for me as they do is really impressive. Nice. Oh, yeah. I've never actually listened to their stuff. I've just, I've been shitty about their name for years. I'm just trying to thread that line between, like, you guys are making podcasts and I really respect the work you do, but also some of it doesn't work for (laughs) me, personally. We don't know. Do we know what we're doing next time? We don't, but it, 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 it's either going to be miracle workers or something else good. We just have to narrow that down. So we'll get back to you next time. Uh, this time I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, Also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. While you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, Go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.